This is BC Spritch, your look at the province's burgeoning distilling culture. What is happening, BC Spirits? Welcome back to your number one authority on craft spirits and distilleries in the wonderful province of British Columbia. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, today's podcast is with Fabio from Wood Spirit Company. Um, if you haven't heard of the Wood Spirit Company, you've really been missing out. Uh, I'm sure you've seen their bottle of uh, beautiful reddish pink Amaro sitting on shelves at liquor stores. Um, so we checked to uh, Fabio about their vacuum distillation process, the yeast they use. Now, there's a couple of fun little cutouts here, just purely because um, one, uh, I lost him somewhere in, in the very beginning, but I think I've edited it pretty well. And then two, he uh, had to actually, he was actually in the front of house in the lounge uh, serving guests. So there was a moment where he had to go serve a guest in the middle of our conversation. But uh, that's one thing that we do at BC Spirits is all about authenticity because that's what BC Spirits is all about. So I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thanks, as always, for the support, and I'll chat to you soon. Bye. So uh, the BC Spurs podcast, if you haven't listened to it, I just like to get down to the bottom, especially uh, with distillers, about why the big the big story behind the why. Um, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I always laugh because I've, I've actually given up. I've left money on the table for people who have come to me about setting up a distillery because when I ask their why and they say money, I'm just like, okay, so <laughs> nothing I do for you in the way of setup is going to get you to that goal straight away. Um, Absolutely. And so, especially, I think I, I'm really interested in the reasoning behind your vacuum distillation process. Um, yeah, 100%. I've, I've, I've talked about it a little bit in uh, when I've done tastings of your stuff in uh, the BC Spirit Today and stuff like that. Um, yes. And you're the only vacuum, well, we'll kick it off anyway. Um, <laughs> So uh, I usually just kick it off by I like I'm a comic book nerd, so I love the uh, the edition ones, the 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 origin stories to to how you got into the game. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So yeah, it's an interesting story for me. I uh, actually had a business before uh, opening a distillery where I would take people out foraging for wild food, mushrooms, that sort of thing, and uh, it was fantastic. Loved it, but very seasonal. And uh, you know, during the off season, I kind of actually ended up getting a job at a brewery and uh, getting super fascinated with yeast. In fact, because they're a micro. Like that's a really interesting. That's a really weird thing to sort of get into because um, it, it's. I don't think people think enough about yeast. Everybody, like whenever you hear the, the big macro guys, like, oh, we have a proprietary yeast, um, right? No one really asked the question of like, okay, so how does that change the product as it's getting fermented? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's everything in, in uh, uh, craft beer, beer. So again, yeast being a microfungus, and I'm an amateur mycologist, and just was totally enveloped in everything mycology and mushrooms. Uh, it just piqued my interest, and then it realized, you know, I realized there's no way I'm going to open a, a brewery because there's just so many of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then I kind of thought of uh, opening a restaurant, and that's just insanity. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, so what are you saying? Is you settled on the least insane thing to do in the hospitality industry? Yeah, well, that, that's what I thought at the time. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's actually the case, but uh, uh, you know what? I really thought of our distillery as like a platform to kind of introduce people to flavors, and I, I look at what we do more like uh, more like food than spirits. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I really think you know alcohol is simply a, a vector for flavor, as opposed to looking at you know the traditional ways we look at spirits, like this is whiskey or this is gin or this is 
you know, the cure. Um, so yeah, we, 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 that was kind of my opportunity to, to be creative. Right. So when we, uh, we thought about opening a distillery, we actually had the opportunity to work with, uh, Sons of Vancouver, who are fantastic gentlemen, basically worked out of their distillery for a, a while to produce our first product, which was the Amaro, um, and I really knew what I wanted. You know, I, I I knew that there was room in the market. This was probably, I don't know, five and a half years ago or so, something like that, which is crazy to think. Uh, but at the time, there was very few Amaros. And, you know, we would do our research, meaning going to drink at bars. And uh, what we often see is, you know, all the high-end whiskeys up top, but always within reach of a bartender was Campari mm-hmm. uh, or some sort, some sort of bitter, right? And... Uh, at the time, I think it was twenty. It must have been twenty fifteen, somewhere around there. You couldn't, the great Campari shortage. Yeah, exactly. Right, you couldn't get Campari, and if you had an unopened bottle, you could have sold it to a bartender for like eighty bucks. So, I woke up one morning and the light went off, and I was like, you know what? Um, let's try to make something. So, you know, we started doing our trials and and you know looking at what was out there in terms of how Amaro's were made, and I quickly realized that I didn't have you know, 200 years to perfect a, a recipe like, mm-hmm. you know, the old school, the old school Italian guys have. So I actually, at that time I had read an article about vacuum distilling. There was a chef somewhere, I think in San Francisco that was pulling out flavors and using them in his food. And, uh, I just kind of thought, you know what, why don't we try to do something like that with, with distillation? And that was an absolute game changer. So, uh, like, lead, lead us through with vacuum distilling for the people at home that don't understand it. Like, I, I've used rotovaps and stuff in the past. Um, on, a, on a larger scale, how does, your, how does your still work slightly different than everybody else's? Yeah, so the, the main difference is we, well, vacuum still, what we do is we, we put our entire still, which is a, is a custom, custom-built custom still simply because this equipment doesn't really exist on this scale. So we, in fact, had to, uh, we had to design and get it built. And so essentially what we do is we draw a negative pressure. So this is chemistry, physics, which I was never great at until I started making booze. Uh, we, uh, we, we draw a negative pressure. So, you know, at that typical atmosphere, regular stills, their boiling point, you know, at the boiling point of ethanol is 70. 8.2 degrees C. We will distill under vacuum again at, you know, sometimes 20 degrees C, room temperature, generally wow. on average. Yeah, generally on average about like 25 to 30 degrees Celsius. So what I found was, again, going back to the Amaro, um, like I knew what I wanted to make, but, you know, just traditional maceration and dis- distillation at that high temperature, I could not get anywhere near what I wanted. So once we started to work with a vacuum still and distill at low temperatures, I was pulling off flavors that were like distillates that were super bright, super lively, and uh, I just saw a huge potential. So that's, that was kind of why we started with it. It was like, you know, we knew, what we wanted, we knew what I wanted to make, but just couldn't achieve it. And, uh, you know, looking at the industry, there's just not many people who, who do what we do. And again, it's, it's a pretty big industry. There's a lot of players. So we wanted to kind of, you know, be a little bit different and differentiate what we do. And that's, that's hence the vacuum. Is there, is there any other vacuum stills in Canada? I know I know there's not one in BC, but is there any other vacuum stills in, in Canada? No. Uh, you know, there are some companies that use Rotovat, like on small mm-hmm. scale, uh, but nothing like what we're doing, simply because I think partially the equipment's not available. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's one of the biggest things. So, 
Um, I know lately I've, I've got some inquiries from people around Canada regarding vacuum still, so I'm, I'm excited about it. I think, especially in the gen world, there's huge potential. So, Oh, massive potential. Like, I... I thoroughly enjoy doing stuff with vacuum stills and, and vacuum uh, and, and roto vaps just because of the flavors that you pull from it. You yeah. like strawberry is a big one. Like I've done a lot of roto vap strawberry stuff, and just mm. the flavor of strawberry you get at doesn't taste cooked. It doesn't taste boiled. It doesn't taste because a lot of people don't understand. It's like when you squash like soft fruits and and herbs and stuff in your hand and mash it all up, you start getting different chlorophylls and that sort of thing. But when you do it in a in a vacuum still or a, a rotovap, it's just delicate and lively and, and, like you said, just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing about the, the rotovap is, like, just like with any distillation, there's there's different cuts within, you know, the vacuum distillation that are totally different. So it's similar mm-hmm. uh, with regular distillation that way. So, you know, and for us, again, you know, we made the Amaro, but my goal was really to kind of try to make spirits that have not been made before, you know, like we're working on, like, a chanterelle liqueur. And now there are some mushroom liqueurs out there. I know it sounds pretty crazy, but... Have you uh, ever... Sh- you have a chant- Wait a second. You have a chanterelle liqueur? We're, we're working on it. It's coming out. Oh, that sounds it's, cool. Yeah, like, I, I think my my idea is, like, chanterelle and pear brandy liqueur. I know those mm. two go really well together. So, you know, again, and, and for us, like, we've distilled wild... I mean, we've distilled moss. I've distilled bark. Like, we've distilled all kinds of crazy stuff. So... <laughs> um, that's really the goal down the road when we can kind of, you know, we have a little bit more time to play around is just to do, you know, one-offs, um, stuff that you wouldn't think to do again, because to me, booze is just, you know, a vector for flavor. So if we can create something that's kind of out of the norm and make it good and interesting, uh, that's really our goal. Do you just have jars of stuff labeled that are sitting around from crazy distillation <laughs> runs that you're just like, yeah, well, we might use that later on down the track. I'm looking at an entire shelf right now. That's exactly that. <laughs> like, like I have, we have. I'm really interested in the mushroom side. Like I have black truffle kind of macerating at the moment. We have like yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, right. So, you know, running a business, you it's kind of hard to find the time to get to all the projects. But I, it's it's slowly coming for us, which is nice. Well, speaking about the business side, like you had the the Amaro for a number of years before you really put out anything else. Um, and it's not like you've gone straight the gin and vodka sort of route either. Like you've got the Lemoncello. I know the Nocino has been out for a couple of years now as seasonal. Um, what sort of drives you to keep doing obscurity? Like I know the gin does very well, but like ha- like really even gin in in a grand yeah. team from a, from a business model point of view um, is still something that's like well, there's a lot of gins on the market. How do you carve out a niche? Um, what sort of drives you to keep doing the the more obscure stuff? Well, first off, I think Demaro really taught us. I mean, although it's, it took a while for it to catch on, uh, uh, I, I think again, if you look at the, the obscure kind of old school Italian liqueurs like Chino, uh, like all the the darker Amaros, I mean, I think some of the commercially well, most of the commercially available stuff right now is is to me not that great. So I think there's tons of room. Uh, to do that style and those types of spirits, um, just, just better, right? So that's, and that kind of, that's kind of what interests me. Again, like vodka for me is, is we like it. We can certainly drink it occasionally, but, uh, it's a bit boring. So to kind of like challenge yourself to make those, 
complex groups. Like, again, like in my mind, the Amaros, like Amaros in general, are the most complex spirits, right? You give, mm-hmm. you know, botanical sweetness, bitter, and they all have to be balanced. And if they're out of balance, it's just not right. So, um, again, that goes back to our, 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 our way of looking at it in terms of food, right? So it's, and which is, again, why we vacuum distill. And we, in fact, vacuum distill each botanical separately and then blend everything back. So we do a lot more work, I think, than, than a lot of distilleries, simply because we're, you know, we distill each botanical separately. And then blend back, and mm. you know we're con- yeah, and we're constantly working on kind of building our botanical library. So you know the hope is in ten years you'd be like, okay, well you know we have thirty five or fifty distillates that are dialed in, and we can just do this. You know we can put together these five or ten mm-hmm. or fifteen or whatever, and and just have it have it dialed in right away. It's like that initial work, but uh, yeah, I think that's definitely what drives us. And what was what was your thought pattern? Because obviously, like you, you look at the 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 DNA makeup of how to make limoncello, and it literally screams to be to be Um Yeah. What what was the sort of thought process behind? Like you just you, like limoncello is literally a spirit that's like just screaming to be rotovapped and created in a way that's like this light floral, like sort of gorgeous lemon. What was the sort of thought pattern behind the the old limoncello? Well, first, first off, to be honest, be honest, it was like definitely a, a business decision because at that point we had amaro and gin, and not everybody likes bitter, and not everybody likes gin. So <laughs> this, this was kind of uh, gearing towards people's sweet tooth. But at the same time, actually, to be honest, when I when I thought about making it, I was like, I don't really like almondshell. I don't really drink it that often. And then I quickly realized why. It's simply because it's usually way too coin and way too sweet. Mm-hmm. And and I thought, you know what? If we could. Uh, if we could make this a like a little drier, uh, and then you know add add you know a little some accents to it, in the you know in the form of uh, our vacuum distilled peppercorn and the, the chili peppers, just gives it a little bit of heat. You know, cuts the sugar, elevates the lemon. Again, you know, coming from the, the food side of things, or looking you know looking at it like putting together a plate of food. Um, yeah, that's that was our goal, and, and yeah, we sell lots of it, which was surprising it's, to me because I had it's a fantastic like that that pepper note to it just. Yeah. It even if you didn't put it on the label, it would still be a like, it would still be a nice high note to work with the lemon. Um, yeah, I think I think especially with the stuff you do, I, I have people because obviously being in the bartending industry, I'm sure you get it sometimes as well. You have certain bartenders in the industry go, well, that's not really a, a, a certain spirit should be and that sort of thing. And especially, I find Italy, Spain, and that sort of Mediterranean region, like every village, every family in that village would have their own style of limoncello would have their own style of bitter or amaro, would have their own style of nocino. Like you pick three spirits that I think probably if you go really exploring in that Mediterranean area would be so diverse and so insanely specific to each family, each grandma and grandfather who's passed down recipes in every single village across all of the Mediterranean. You've picked these three spirits that sort of encapsulate just a small little slither of what an Amaro is, a small little slither of what a Nocino is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm really sorry about this, John, but I'm manning the front of the house and I have a customer. Is there any way we can, uh, can pause this? I'm so, I totally meant to mention that to you earlier. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is perfect. You do your thing. Just put the phone down and uh, you do your thing and come back yeah. in a bit. Give me, give me, sorry, man, just give me a minute. Hello? <laughs> That's amazing. So sorry. So sorry about that. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, 
don't apologize at all. Like, I've had dogs barking. I've had, like, the whole shebang. If, if you have listened to any of my podcasts, I rarely edit hard. Like, it's a clean up of the audio and just cut straight through. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> um, that's why I don't listen to my podcast. I've never actually listened to a full episode of my podcast after I've posted it, <laughs> ever. And that's after something like 250 episodes between both platforms. So, but um, we're we're talking about how you sort of focus in on Italian, um, Italian products. And I think that they're the most obscure sort of region to region specific and, and how you sort of fit them into being specifically designed for, to replicate or to sort of be like a certain thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to be honest for me, you know, I'm Italian. My my dad's actually been making it, you know, for like 40 years. And my yeah. grandpa before him. And I remember being a kid and distilling grappa and making wine and doing all those things. And I, I kind of went away from it for many years. And then when I opened this business, you know, I wrote a business plan all about whiskey because we love whiskey and it's you know can be quite lucrative. But as we started to move forward, and uh, the Amaro came out, and I actually went to Italy and was drinking my Amaro on the Mediterranean, and I just realized I was like, well, wait a minute. This is what I do, right? So it was right there. So it was, it was an easy direction for us once we kind of honed in on it. Um, and it's good. It gives us tons of direction because there's so many interesting spirits out there uh, in yeah. terms of you know what's made in Italy. Yeah, I feel the same way with vermouth. Like I've had a few people go, oh, well, such and such from local vermouth isn't like vermouth. So I'm like, yeah, but have you gone to Italy and Germany and Spain and tasted every vermouth from every little village and every little pop-up store and hole in the wall. And they're like, well, no. I'm like, okay, so you're, you're, you're comparing apples to oranges. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's the big plan for the next six months? Obviously this, this chanterelle pear liqueur. I just, I'm going to need that in my life. Um, <laughs> what are you yeah, playing with so. in the next six months? Well, I, I think I mentioned to you a little while ago, we are uh, coming out with a clear Amaro, um, which is pretty close to being finished, but I've been saying that for a little while now. So, uh, again, simply because of the way we make our spirits, everything's distilled separately. You know, I can actually do a clear Amaro. So uh, that's kind of in the works. So this, this Amaro for us is going to be a little less assertive than our uh, original one, maybe a little bit more floral, a little bit more citrus, but uh, yeah. That's definitely in the works, and then um, potentially, probably after that, um, a hazelnut liqueur, like a frangelico. Mm, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's as far as I can see at the moment. <laughs> do, you, do you find that, uh, are you expanding outside the BC market, or are you staying pretty much within the province? Well, at the moment, well, since everything's happened, we... we we were kind of looking outside. We were looking into, you know, Washington State, which we were starting to make some headways. Um, and, and then, yeah, really, at the moment, not really. We're just trying to serve as BC. And again, when I when I first opened this distillery, we had wide eyes. You know, because you look at the population of California, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's greater than the entire you know, population of Canada, and it's two states down. And I quickly realized. I mean, you know, we need we need to kind of work on the backyard first, and then uh, and then go from there. But uh, yeah, do you do you find like this is a completely business related question? Like, do you find that keeping your niche and doing those more obscure things that that's what people are responsive to? Like, does 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 the gin shine for you guys, or is it definitely people just come into the lemon chili, come in for the Amaro? 
It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I mean, we gin is definitely you know one of our top sellers for sure. Uh, yeah, Morrow's caught up again. People are starting to to know us for kind of the obscure stuff. Um, so we definitely have fans of just the Lemoncello or just the uh, Amaro or just the Barrel Age Amaro, um, and just the gin as well. So everybody's you know everybody's kind of different. So it's yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. Well, I want to thank you for your time, man. I appreciate it. I love the fact that. Uh you're busy enough that you, you you're still rocking the front front of house and rocking the uh, <laughs> the front of house while uh, we're doing this. So I really appreciate all the hard work you guys put in. Um, I thoroughly enjoy all your products and have bought plenty of them over the last couple of venues as well. So um, keep uh, making spectacular. I'm really like I'm literally giddy for the freaking Trantrol and Pear liqueur now. <laughs> like yeah. um, make make sure the the Lone Tree boys reach out to me as soon as that's available because I can see that work into a cocktail for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you, uh, Sean, like you know the work that you do. We uh really appreciate it, man. It's uh it's yeah, it's uh we understand it and we love it. So thanks. Thanks man. I'll trust you really soon. Excellent. Thanks, Sean. Cheers. Bye. Okay.